Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 21 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today, I'm beyond excited to feature marathon woman and running icon, Katherine Switzer. Katherine is famously known for being the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon, and that led her to become a social advocate for women's running and sports, particularly through her 261 Fearless Foundation. Katherine has authored several books, most notably Marathon Woman, Running the Race to Revolutionize Women's Sports, which I highly recommend. And Marathon Woman is just one of 180,000 titles available to download Download on Audible. So if you feel super inspired after listening to today's interview, go to www.audibletrial.com slash seasoned athlete to get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial and listen to Catherine's story or another great story on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. I felt it only appropriate that I should feature a woman who has found the joy and magic of running as this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. Let's get to know Mish Preston. Hey there, I'm Mish Preston, a 50-year-old runner. 5Ks, marathons, mud runs, you name it. As an athlete from childhood, I now realize that to be a happy, healthy adult, I need my running as I did back then. I hope I have been a good influence on family and friends through my attitude towards running. In the early 1980s, I was a long and triple jumper and sprinter. I love the intense sprinting feeling and the power of jumping, run fast and jump far. I always questioned why people would want to run 26.2 miles. I'd be bored out of my mind. I ran six miles with the high school cross country team once and the coach wrote in his daily notebook, yep, Mish ran six miles. She'll never do that again. Well, I recently came across some old black and white photos from when I was in college, and it looks like I ran a four-miler. It wasn't six miles, but it was close. When my husband, Mike, and I got married, we liked to walk and go hiking. Then he decided to start going to the gym. I asked him one day, so what do you do at the gym? Use a treadmill? And oblivious to how good he really was on the treadmill, because he was never an athlete, I immediately told him he would be running a 5K very soon. And I would start the Couch to 5K program and do it with him. Seeing my children running and my non-athlete husband running, I had to do something. I was reliving my dreams through them. Now it's 2012, and friends and I started a running group. We run one 5K a month. For 12 months. And that's what opened my eyes to the local running community. Our team name is called Between a Walk and a Hard Pace. We're noticed everywhere we go now. We've added a lot to our team. We've added 10Ks, half marathon, mud runs. I've run one marathon so far. And my favorite of all time, the Ragnar Relay, 200 miles with a 12-person team. One summer, we even joined the corporate track team through my husband's work. And look at me, long jumping and sprinting again. 
with the kids being so involved with school sports and with the love of running, I've started race directing a 5K. It's a fundraiser for the high school to support the class's project graduation. Got to keep those kids healthy and safe. For me, it's not always about winning every race anymore. Well, maybe a little. I personally don't train enough to compete like that. It's the whole event of gathering, running, laughing, eating together, running together, the photos, the hugs, the camaraderie of the racing community. I have learned life is truly not a sprint. It is a marathon. And now that I have run a marathon, I have a long life ahead of me. Everyone that exercises for themselves or to inspire someone else has a story to tell. We're all seasoned athletes and should share our stories. You never know where the encouragement will lead. I am Mish Preston, and I am a seasoned athlete. If you'd like to tell your everyday seasoned athlete story in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me slash everyday and tell us a little bit about yourself. And now it's time to meet this week's featured seasoned athlete, a woman who just 50 years ago refused to be told that she couldn't run with the men and to this day continues to help women around the world put one foot in front of the other. This is Catherine Switzer. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Robin. How are you? I am great, and I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners? I am. I have all kinds of pearls of wisdom and probably utter ridiculousness as well. I will take <laughs> any and all of that. So you are Catherine Switzer, iconic athlete, sports and social advocate, author, and Emmy Award-winning television commentator. You're perhaps best known as the first woman to officially enter and run the Boston Marathon. You have been honored widely for your achievements, including being inducted into the USA National Women's Hall of Fame for creating positive social change. Your work has forever changed the face of sports, health, and opportunities for women around the world and fearlessly empowering millions beyond the finish line, especially through your nonprofit 261 Fearless. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a quick moment to fill in? No, I think you really nailed it, Robin. I am really grateful to you, and I am especially excited, frankly, about what's happening with 261 Fearless because it's taking the empowerment message around the world and also about the whole concept of active aging. And that's what we're going to be talking about also. Um, this has just been amazing to me because, uh, I, I mean, yesterday I was 25 and today I'm 70. Uh, I don't feel really that much different. Um, and we're going to talk about that, about I think how running has made a lot of that happen. Fantastic. And I, I was about to ask, I always ask all of my guests to state their age. So and we're going to do it officially. I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests. What is your age at this moment in time? At this moment in time, I'm 70, but I'm creeping up on 71. I'm going to be 71 in January. So I'm, I'm kind of over the midway point. Yes. And you said you feel 25? I do, except when I get tired and then I say, well, you felt this tired when you're 25 too. So, <laughs> but I think I said, maybe I'm getting old, but I don't think so. I think when we were 25, we just ignored it and pushed through it a lot more. And now we acknowledge it properly. Uh, I know I still push through, which makes me a crazy person. <laughs> then, I know yes, I then, shouldn't do that. Then I guess you do still feel 25 in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. How did you get into running and what about distance running made you fall in love with it? I started running when I was 12 when my dad encouraged me to run a mile a day to make the field hockey team in my local high school. He saw that I was an insecure little kid uh, at 12 going into high school and um, he, he encouraged me to go out and run this mile a day and of course I thought it was going to be like climbing Kilimanjaro. But I did. I went out and ran this mile a day and I became one of the best players on the team 
because I had this amazing conditioning and I could outrun everybody and never got tired. But, you know, I didn't know it was conditioning. Then I thought it was magic. Um, <laughs> and I'll <sw> <laughs> really, I did. I thought it was some kind of magic. And I didn't realize um, until much later, of course, that I was really beginning to feel empowered by this, this uh, wonderful thing called running, which was transformational even to a little girl. And I felt so powerful and so strong. I felt like I had a victory under my belt every day that nobody could take away from me. And, and, I, and I say this now, 58 years later of running, I still feel that magic. I really do. I feel it's a, it's a great day when I run no matter how bad the rest of the day has been. Isn't it crazy how that works? And I didn't discover running till much later. I was the kid who tried to get out of running in PE class in school and and tried to make excuses and hide. And I didn't start running until I was in my 30s. But then I found the magic. You mentioned the magic. And it's like, that really is a thing that the, the endorphins or whatever it is that happen when you run, like it can take your mind out of a bad place. It can make your day better. It can just, it's like that time you spend, it's your time and it and it's magical. So I, I'm envious of you that you got to experience that so young and really embrace that so young. But how, how it works is a real mystery. And, and is it endorphins? Is it um, oxygen deprivation or an increase of oxygen? Why do the brain synapses work better? Why is it also a very creative, enlightening, stress reduction experience? And I think um, you look at people who believe in mindfulness and mindful meditation and, and they sit quietly and, and force themselves to meditate for 10 minutes. Well, I can't sit quietly for 10 minutes. But when I run, I become centered and I really can focus. I can get the chaff of the day blown off the top and settle into really getting some very, very good thinking done. And as a, as a writer or as a journalist, I, and I say that differently because as a journalist, you're usually on a, a deadline. And sometimes you just can't quite get the lead to the story that you want. And and if you go out for just even 10 minutes, it just pops right into your head. You just get it. And certainly, you know, in terms of creativity for longer writing or for business promotions or a business plan or a really good promotional idea, you just come up with the most creative thoughts. Of course, the trick is remembering them when you get back. <laughs> sure, sure. But that's a really good point that you make, especially as I'm trying to appeal to people who are older, who might be 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who might be in the midst of a career, live busy lives, have families, uh, hectic, frantic schedules that that it's hard to get mentally focused that maybe 10 minutes out on the road doing some running can work wonders for someone living a frantic life or living a hectic life or a busy career or a stressful career. Like all of these things that, that people in these age groups experience um, that running can provide some magic for that. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason 58% of all the runners in the United States right now are women and they are women who are probably very time constrained you know, with kids, house, dog, hub, uh, a job. And so they have that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe first thing in the morning before the family's up. That's the only way they're going to get their run in. And the women I talk to say that that is their gift for the day. It gives them that time for them to be alone, to center, to get a focus, you know, get a, get a grip on everything. For me, I, I need it after the day. I need to get over the day rather than prepare for the day. And, um, I mean, just like, you know, you come home, oh, my God, give me a drink. Yes. <laughs> but if you get on your sneaks and go out, it's it's a lot more effective. It is amazing. It is amazing. Yes. <laughs> 
1967, you were the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon, and your participation in that race was not without controversy, as a race official tried to forcibly remove you from the race course. The photo of this historic moment became one of Time Life's 100 photos that changed the world. Can you talk about what that race meant for you, both in the moment and for your life as a runner and social advocate moving forward? In the moment and as for my life after were, were completely different stories. Um, I was a 20-year-old kid, and a college student at Syracuse University who simply wanted to, wanted to run her first marathon. I proved to my coach in practice that I could do it. He promised he'd take me if I showed him I could do it. He didn't believe a woman could. So when I did, he was extremely impressed. And, of course, other women had run marathons, not, not officially, but they had run marathons, and he didn't believe any of it. He just didn't believe a woman could do it. And so he was very impressed that I could, and he was proud of me. So he helped me sign up for the race. The purpose was for me simply to just run my first Boston Marathon. And we, at least I, didn't think there was going to be any big deal. Um, I just thought other women weren't interested in doing it, else they would be there. Um, and when he insisted that I sign up for the race, I said, well, why do I have to sign up for the race? And he said, because it's a serious race. This is a Boston Marathon. You've got to sign up for it. You know, you're a member of the athletic federation and you got to follow the rules and you got to pay your two dollar entry fee <laughs> <laughs> two dollars that blows my mind right there <laughs> i know i knew that'd make you laugh um so um i signed up for the race but i signed my name kv switzer and i'd been doing that since i was 12 also um because i wanted to be a writer and my dad had misspelled my name on my birth certificate so the Catherine was always misspelled and people were always trying to correct it and it was always misspelled again so I started, you know, thinking I was going to be J.D. Salinger and T.S. Eliot. <laughs> I started signing my name K.V. Switzer. And when I signed the entry form K.V. Switzer and it went in, the officials obviously thought it came from a man. Anyway, they gave me the, the bibs. Um, my coach picked up our team numbers because we registered as a group. And, um, and when I pinned on the numbers, all the guys in the race were very excited and, and welcoming to me. And I thought, this is okay. This is, you know, there's no problems here. But guys had always been wonderful to me in running. And then in the middle of the race, of course, not in the middle of the race, very early on in the race, about a mile into the race, the race director became furious that a girl was running his race, which he said was a men's only event. And I should know that, although it was not in the rules, not on the entry form. So how are you supposed to know that? I was following the rules, which said I had to, you know, fill out the form and pay my money get a medical certificate. And I did everything right. And so he attacked me, tried to throw me out. Of course, everybody knows the story about how my boyfriend bounced him out of the race instead. And I went on to finish. So when, when you say, how was, how is it different? At, up to that moment, I was a kid. And then after that moment, you know, I was really terrified and, and paranoid and embarrassed, humiliated. This was all happening in front of the world press. But I had made the decision no matter what, I was going to finish the race at that point because I said if I don't finish it, nobody's going to believe that women can do it, that she's just another one of those clown women who barges into a place where she's not welcome and can't do it anyway. And, um, and I wanted to prove that I could finish the race. I had to for the sake of all women and, and then did. So at the end of the race, I was a different person. Certainly it was an event that changed my life. Um, I didn't know it was going to change it as dramatically as it did um, because as the years unfolded, um, you know, uh, 
I was not I was not really a popular person with a, with with huge numbers of people and and athletic establishments for a long time because I was perceived as a upstart, a barrier breaker, a, you know, busybody, la 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 la. Um, and I said, look, women would run if they only had the opportunities, and so I turned my attention after having some success as an athlete myself. I turned my attention to creating those opportunities, and that's what made all the difference in the world because. We um, we worked very very hard. Got women official in Boston. I helped create the first ever women's road race, and then helped lead the drive to get the women's marathon into the Olympic Games in 1984. And it was it was during all of this time, of course, I was still running, not as an active competitor necessarily, um, but certainly as somebody who believed in running. And um, then over the years to come back to running, uh, pretty seriously this last couple of years in particular. And run Boston again this year on my 50th anniversary was as different as night and day, because you know here I was now a part of those 58 percent of all the women in the U.S. runners. I was there in gratitude for my health. I was there as a gesture of passing the torch forward. Of look at what we had all done in the last 50 years. Imagine what the next 50 years is going to look like. Um, and and the welcome at Boston this year. Uh, was unbelievable. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people along the route who didn't even know me, who had signs supporting me, signs for 261 Fearless, um, the the foundation that, of course, was named after the bib number that the official tried to pull off of me. 125 people ran in Boston in honor of that bib and raised money for the foundation that is uh, going around the world now and empowering women. Just as we said at the beginning of this conversation, Around the world, most women have no opportunities. And if we can show them how they can put one foot in front of the other in this cheap, accessible means, um, they too can become empowered, like we feel. And that is our our objective. We changed the world several times already with running, and we're going to do it big time now around the world. And I'm excited about it. It's it's exciting. It's, It's just so astounding to me how much change has happened in 50 years. I I was reading your book and just... It, it blew my mind that that men thought that women couldn't run because their uterus might fall out or, you know, or just it's too much exertion and they they might die. Like, that's the thinking. And it was just 50 years ago. I know. But, you know, women themselves were their own worst enemies because women believe those myths, too. And those myths, by the way, are very, very strong in many countries. I mean, I'm sure you have read where Saudi Arabia finally is letting women drive. After all this time, this massive campaign, and they're only doing it to create a better image for Saudi Arabia, and they're only letting them drive next year as starters because it's going to take this whole year for, as they say, the, the male population to adjust to this, this huge social leap forward. But one, one cleric said, we shouldn't let women drive in Saudi Arabia because it'll hurt their ovaries. <laughs> so you see how, yeah. the, how prevalent that myth is? That if they do anything that is out of the norm, somehow their whole biological system is going to be screwed up. It is so preposterous. And yet, you know, of course, a woman 50 years ago, if she's told you shouldn't run because you're going to get big legs or you're going to grow hair on your chest or you're going to turn into a guy and never have children, they're not going to take the risk. You see what I mean? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my it's God. far too terrifying at that time. Yeah. Besides, sweating is icky. And look at those women. They look so, you know, like they're, they're suffering. Oh, God. 
that's not the feminine image I want. That is not becoming of a woman. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is so sad because, of course, what, what you and I also know is that running itself is, is almost gender-free. You know, we're out there as runners. We're not out there as men and women especially. Yeah. We're not regarding each other sexually or violently. We're out there supporting each other, uh, uh, taking joy in our accomplishment and our shared accomplishment. Yeah. So that's that's one reason why I love the sport so much. But anyway, to come back now to answer your original question, it couldn't have been more different, you know, from from the cold, nasty weather, uh, uh, unwelcoming, aggressive, uh, hateful kind of response that that I received from officials, but not ever from men. The men were wonderful um, in the race to this year where it was just like adulation for for 261 Fearless and and for me running. It was really very, very exciting. You know, you talked about the barriers that had to be overcome for the perception of women running. And the interesting, the other interesting thing I noted in your book, and you just kind of mentioned it, back even 50 years ago, the men were very supportive outside of the race officials, but women were not necessarily supportive because of their own preconceived notions. Well, they were they were afraid. That's that's the whole point. The word is, is, it is uh, afraid. And um, yeah, if you're fearful of something, you're not going to go there. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Um, it's the same thing why women often stay in an abusive relationship. It's not just because they're, they're in a codependency. It's because at least they know that devil. They don't know that devil they don't know. know what it's like to be on the other side. Maybe it's worse. I can put up with this or I'm willing to put up with this rather than take the chance of something else. Yeah. That that mentality is interesting to me. And it plays into kind of myths and fears that are based around aging and activity, I think. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, how, how those relate there. to each other? Yeah, let's go there. Let's go there because what I am finding is that people are saying the same things now about older people, even me. Okay, they think I'm a weird person, but anyway... Um, they say about older people, oh, when you get 60, you know, you really should slow down. You know, you might fall down if you run, you're going to hurt your knees or you might have a heart attack or, you know, you, you, you know, really is, you really got to take it easy when you get older. Well, why? You know, we know that when you stress the body and then you recover, that's what makes it improve at any age, at any age. I mean, they've done studies on, on bedridden people in nursing homes. They put them on mild weight training programs. They increase their muscle mass by 90%. I mean, it's incredible. The body is always growing. Okay, but what's interesting to me is this is precisely the way they talked about women 50 years ago. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. You might fall down. You might, you know, you have a heart attack. You're too weak and too frail and too fragile. So we've overcome one myth, and I feel now with the aging barrier – we are really on the edge of a new frontier, and I'm really excited to be there. You know, I really am happy to be 70 and be out there pushing it again. And, you know, women were buying into that myth back then. I feel that women more than men buy into the myth now, and that's the thing that needs to be overcome. Yeah, I think so, too. I think men men quickly see other men doing something, and it's kind of like a competitive thing. Hey, I don't want to be outdone, you know. I'm not going to sit back and, and let him throw a ball and me not throw a ball. But, but women themselves are a little more frightened. And I have a lot of young women come to me and say, hey, can you give me some advice with my mother? She just turned 60. She's retired from her job already. And she says she just wants to sit down. And, and, and she said, I have to take it easy because I'm 60. And I'm really worried about her. She's getting depressed. She's getting overweight. She's losing her, her um, endurance. Um, and 
I say, you know, you, you've got to get her out on a walking or running program or some, of some kind and get her moving again and I get those endorphins back up. But she said, my, I just don't understand. My mom feels she has to buy into the old myths of, of aging, which is, you know, take it easy. So speaking for yourself, what types of unique challenges or perhaps benefits do you find that you encounter as a woman in, in your 70s still running the marathon distance? Well, I, I'm surprisingly better than I thought I would be. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything for time in particular, but for instance, you know, I'm running New York also um, in about two weeks. And um, people said, what's your time goal? And I said, listen, I don't have a time goal. Once you commit to... to some of these things that people people want you to do interviews and they want you to stop and hug people and then they want you to do a Facebook Live and <laughs> this is all along the way. So, you know, you forget about doing it fast. Um, but when I when I get into a small local race, you know, a half marathon or something, I really I really try to push it along. But but still, having said that, in New York, for instance, there are gonna be a lot of competitive seventy year old women, which is very exciting, who are going for an age group prize. And I'm going to get hosed, totally hosed. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's the greatest thing. They're out there busting their tails. And I think it's a really, really wonderful thing to see see what they're doing. It's it's absolutely spectacular. Um, But how how is it different? One one of the ways it's different is that um, I am not as obsessed as I used to be when I was training to be a good runner in my mid-20s. And that was also because I really had a big chip on my shoulder because people said that I was not really an athlete, you know, I really wasn't that good. So I trained really hard, trying to overcome my lack of talent with hard work, and it worked. And, you know, I, in 1975, I ran a 251 marathon, and I feel if I can do that, anybody can do it because it's hard work. It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't talent. So now I don't have those kinds of pressures. Now all I need to do is run to cover the distance. And um, uh, working with a physio, uh, deciding I needed professional help since things had changed in 50 years, this physio was really interesting. She said, you should really run, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do, run every other day, and on the days, opposite days, work on your core and and get those abs and those quads and, and even arm work, weight work, really strong. Um, so you'll be more upright and you'll have better balance and then run every other day and then the, the workout itself will be better quality. I said, I can't do that. I used to run twice a day when I was getting ready for a big race. And she said, no, 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 no. Every other day, trust me on this. I did. I listened to her and, um, and I've had good results. And I think it's because it's given me time to recover. So uh, I'm already tired enough from all the work I have to do. So to have also a day off where I can, don't have to go out and run. That's, that's kind of nice. But I'll tell you an interesting thing. You can go about 21, 22 hours without all of a sudden you say, i got to get out there. You know, I'm getting anxious. I'm getting stressed. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta, you got to listen to it or figure out another outlet, right? Yeah, sometimes just 15 minutes. So kind of kind of ease. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut those voices off. Yeah. And start talking to you. So that's how it's changed. Yeah. 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 So just a greater focus on recovery and and doing core work and kind of strengthening the whole body, not just the running engine. Exactly. So what advice would you give to people who might be a little older? They could be closer to your age. They could be a little younger who may have considered taking up running or any sport really, but might be intimidated or might have bought into the myth. 
What advice would you have for those people? Oh, I would ask them to buy my first book, which is Running and Walking for Women Over 40. And it's great for men. I say the men can read this book. You can just skip the chapter on menopause. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably good for men to learn about menopause and have a little knowledge there. I It might. It might. They get a little nervous about it, but they really should know. Um, and um, also it was used, uh, a, a guy who had a, women, a children's running program didn't have a decent, he said, I don't have a decent children's schedule, but I went in your book and actually it works. I said it works for everybody. I mean, you start with walking and then you build up to a little bit of jogging in between and then you string the jogs together and then pretty soon you're running and in how to get shoes and how to get a bra and all that kind of stuff. So basically this is what my advice though for somebody older who is just starting to think about exercise is all about. First of all, you're never too old. You're never too fat. You're never too slow. You're never too inexperienced to become an athlete. And an athlete is in relative terms. But the most important, single most important thing to do is to put on your sneakers and go out the door. That is, people people buy all the gear and then they don't do it. Just don't even fuss about it. Just put on your sneakers, any old thing you got in the house right now, and go out the door. In due course, we will show you how to buy good running shoes um, and the gear. But you don't need that. Just get outside. I would say the second most important thing is is to find a buddy because especially women find it um, daunting. They feel that everybody in the neighborhood is looking at them when they're walking by. I want to tell you, nobody is paying any attention. <laughs> Absolutely true. Just, there you're not. But a buddy will not keep you waiting. You will not uh, renege on your workout if you have a buddy waiting for you. And besides that, you're never going to need a psychiatrist if you have a buddy because you tell that person the secrets of your soul. <laughs> you do. So it is amazing. Cool. And the third thing, and this is the, the last one to keep it really simple because people can only remember three things, um, is to have a goal. And a goal always gives you a focus. And you're going to say, okay, by X date, six weeks from now, let's say, I'm going to walk, jog, get through, whatever, that local 5K in my neighborhood um, or 10 weeks or 11 weeks or 12 weeks or six months, whatever, just, just have a goal saying, I'm going to do that because sometimes it's rainy and dark and you're tired. You don't want to go outside. But when you have a goal, you are a little more motivated. It's like a book deadline. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't write the pages, you're not going to turn the book in. So <laughs> you've got, you've got to go out and do it. And then you're always happier for doing it than not doing it. No matter how bad your day has been, when you've done that little thing, that little 10-minute walk for yourself, um, you've you've put a victory under your belt, and it's really great. And, you, re- yeah, you always feel better. You do. I totally agree. No matter how much you don't want to do that run, you always feel better after. 100% Absolutely. True. And I agree with setting that goal. I, that's As a trainer, I help I help people usually do that. It's like having that very tangible date on your calendar to train for no matter what level it's at 5k 10k beyond whatever having that tangible date on your calendar really helps motivate you to get out and do the work i i'm always telling people just sign up for a race it could be any race there's a million races and they're attached with interests if you like hot chocolate there's a hot chocolate race sign up for that one you know and get it on your calendar so that you're you have a path to train for so i totally agree with everything you said especially that yeah and but you know we have to get them to say you know you use the word sign up for that race 
they say, oh my God, I can't race. Like, it's not for me. Yeah. You know, they, they think it's got to be competitive. They don't know. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, fun run walk is always yes. a good thing or just call it an event or, or whatever. And sometimes you really just need that buddy to lead you into it because you have no clue. You know, yeah. you just have no clue even how to, how to take that first step or what do you do or how do I get there in the morning? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's really salutary to take on a total beginner and take them to their first event. I remember there's a, we have a neighbor here who came to my husband and me and he said he's selling a sailboat and he wants to take up running and would we help him? And we said, sure, great, you know. Well, then he came to us about six months later and he said, um, I know I'm 70, but I'd like you to train me to a Boston qualifier. And at that, we screamed. <laughs> we screamed. It was a, ah! But, you know, in a year, we got him there. <laughs> awesome. 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 Taking him to his first event was hilarious. I mean, there he was in his tennis shoes or whatever, and and he was sitting on a park bench, and, and I said, uh, let's go. Aren't you going to warm up? And he said, what do you mean warm up? And I said, well, you know, we're going to run in half an hour. We ought to, you know, you need to do a little warm up and stretching. And he said, oh, I do? Okay. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, you know, I'd forgotten. <laughs> I'd forgotten. <laughs> you're helping me through this whole thing. I forgot. Oh, what do I need to do? Oh, you're going to help him through that, too. <laughs> And I love taking people and I'm, I'm going to start using your word event because I, I think that's that's smart. That's a big takeaway I'm taking from this. Don't always call it a race, call it an event. And I love I do Spartan races. So I always like to help people with their first time. And so that's always rewarding for me too, to to see them experience this thing that that I'm in love with and that has changed my life in a lot of ways. So I imagine every time you take a new person to their first event, it's got to be really rewarding for you. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh you know, sometimes, though, um, what's interesting is that I'm going to, uh, here's, here's a great one. I'm going to run the New York City Marathon. I've done the broadcast of this race for 28 years, out at the start, on the course, at the finish, in the studio. Mostly I've been on the back of a motorcycle with the elite women. It's been unbelievable. I know the drill, right? And I won the race in 1974. But that was when it was entirely in Central Park. Now... I'm a competing athlete, right? Essentially, I'm pinning on a bib and I've got to get out to the start. Well, you know, well, um, how are we going to get there? What? What bus? <laughs> uh, with the subway, we're going to take the ferry. Uh, what? Well, well, when we're out there, we've got to sit around for a while. And I mean, I'm always telling people, take a, take this, take a space blanket, take plastic, take, you know, because you're going to sit on And now I've got to think about all those things. What am I going to wear that I'm going to be able to throw away? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a completely different train of thought from broadcasting, yeah. it, right? And then, I'm, and then, and then I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, if we, if I've got to get out there at six o'clock in the morning, but I actually don't start running until ten ten or ten thirty or whatever, um, I've got to eat twice. Yeah. So how am I going to, you know, what food am I going to take? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to just find fast food or whatever. Right. <laughs> got to take my banana and stuff. It's it's a completely different point of view. It's got to. It's, it is. It's, it is. It's a learning experience. Even you know, fifty years past your first race, you're still learning. It, it yeah. really is. So you have had an incredible athletic and life journey, and I'm sure you've learned a ton along the way. Before we go, if you could share just one parting piece of wisdom that that affected your life or has affected other people's lives along the way, what would that be? If you could narrow it down to just one. What I've learned, it's going to be sounding like a negative, but we're going to turn this into a positive, which is that for all the gains we have made in the last 50 years, there are more fearful women in the world than not fearful women. Most of the women in the world still live in a fearful situation, whether it's social, cultural, religious oppression or poverty or myth. And we need constantly 
to reach out and help change that. And we can do it through the simple, easy means of putting one foot in front of the other and communicating with these women. And 261 Fearless aims to do that. It's going to be one step, one woman at a time. But we're already making progress with these um, local clubs that we're creating, 261 Fearless clubs in different cultures and in different societies. Here's the point. Running is a transformational experience for all of us, and we need to pass it on to everybody we know. The thing about putting one foot in front of the other, that's the key to getting through running, right? It's the key to starting and ending a race or an event, putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what you're helping women do through 261 Fearless in various ways in their lives, whether it be running or otherwise, put one foot in front of the other in a positive direction. Definitely, because if you can make, and you will make that transition from saying, well, if I can run 5K, maybe I can run 10K, I can run or whatever, that happens then in every aspect of your life. You say, well, gee, maybe I can get an education maybe I can get my kids back from that divorce. Maybe I can leave an abusive relationship. Maybe I can get a better job. Why don't I just try for it? Why don't I just apply for that? Whereas before, sometimes you wouldn't even have taken the chance. And running really gives you the fearlessness to take that next step. Yes. And that's that's the whole philosophy behind 261 Fearless. Absolutely. So if someone wants to learn about you or contact you or get involved with 261 Fearless, how can they do that? To get involved with 261 Fearless and probably learn a lot about me as well, just go to 261fearless.org. Think about starting a community club and be a part of our global movement. We would welcome you and we will show you how to do it. That is the number one thing. And then you can always go to my personal website, which is marathonwoman.com and read about me and read about other opportunities and women like you. And can people learn about your books as well through that website? Yes, you can actually buy my books through my website. And um, we even offer an autograph service. So if you wanted it autographed, um, we'll do that for no extra charge. Oh, my goodness. I actually bought uh, I bought your book Marathon Woman in a bookstore in Houston, Texas. I saw it randomly on a shelf and I bought it there. If I'd known I could get an autograph, I might have bought it through your website. You know what? You just send me your email and, and request what you want me to say. I'll send you a book plate and you can put that in your book. Well, thank you. I appreciate I'll be that. be happy to do that for you, That's Robin. Absolutely. wonderful. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. It's been an absolute honor to talk to you firsthand and be able to share... Uh, part of your inspirational journey and so much wisdom that you've gained over the years since you first started running at age 14 and continuing to this year as you continue to run, which I absolutely love. Uh, So thank you for being on the show and thank you for all the groundbreaking work you've done over the years for running and for women's sports. Thank you, Robin. And thank you for passing on the message to so many hundreds or thousands of people. And uh, everybody, you get out there and make it happen. All right, seasoned athletes, before we go, here are my top three takeaways from marathon woman, Katherine Switzer. Number one, put one foot in front of the other. If you want to become a runner, you can do all of the prep that you want. But if you don't put one foot in front of the other, you won't be a runner. So get outside and put one foot in front of the other. As it turns out, that's also a great metaphor for getting through difficult life moments. Just put one foot in front of the other. Number two, strength training is important for runners, especially as we age. Intersperse your running days with upper and lower body and core strength days to ensure your body has the strength to keep up with the miles and can recover properly between runs. And number three, you are never too old. You are never too fat. 
You are never too slow. You are never too inexperienced to become an athlete. Amen to that. Thank you again to Katherine Switzer. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. If you're just totally fired up by Catherine's story like I am, check out her book, Marathon Woman, Running the Race to Revolutionize Women's Sports. And for you, the wonderful listeners of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check them out. Just go to audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete to download Marathon Woman or one of 180,000 titles that they offer for free. That's audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.